0: Welcome into Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. I heard you guys. I heard you on Friday. You said this isn't enough, Joe Beamer. We need just some more. So, back here on Hardline, Brenda Alacy back from vacation and newly announced NY27 candidate Nate McMurray here for the first hour. Now, I know you might have questions. You might just want to call. We will take calls starting at 11. And Brenda and I will take your calls starting at 11. So save those for 11 o'clock. Before we get into the show, I just want to say thanks for everyone who came out to Blended yesterday. A really fun event. It was a great pregame for the wedding reception I had in the evening. And uh, in the middle, I got a really nice pedicure. I have to say, my feet are looking lovely this morning. But that's not why you tuned in. You tuned in to listen to... Let's talk to Nate McMurray. Brenda, by the way, welcome back.
1: Oh, thank you, Joe. It's great to be back. And uh, I was listening a little bit online. I was down in Savannah, Georgia with my husband on vacation. Great, great getaway. Um, If you like heat, the place to go is Savannah in August. Let me tell you, it was uh, 97 degrees and it felt like the humidity was about the same, but it's a lovely historic city, a great place to visit, and uh, really enjoyed it. I did regret coming in at 9 o'clock last night, though, Joe, because I really wanted to go to the Blended event. Thought uh, you and I had a, a great fun talking with Ricky Rodriguez.
0: And he's a great guy in person. We had a nice 10-minute conversation yeah. uh, before he gave his speech, which was great. I mean, he went past his allotted time taking questions. So again, a really fun event. Thanks for everyone who came out.
1: Yeah, uh, there's always some cool things going on on WBN. And, Joe, as you know, I host a show on one of our sister stations called Slice of Life on ESPN 1520 every Saturday at 9. And yesterday I hit on uh, our promotions and live events manager, Samantha Rodnick. And, you know, you talk about all the events that are coming up with our various radio stations here at Entercom, And it goes to show you how there's something for everybody Every demographic, everybody. So if you hang with our stations here at Entercom, you can't go wrong. But I knew you were pulling uh, double duty in a couple of days, and I'm glad to see that you're you know, alive and well and oh, yes. uh, hanging and, tough for WBEN.
0: And again, thanks for everyone who uh, tuned in Friday, uh, participated in the show, gave some uh, feedback. Like I said on Friday, positive, negative. I like all the feedback that comes in. This hour, though, it's time for the tough questions. This is Hardline. Nate McMurray's in studio. Nate, it's been a few months. How you doing?
2: Good, and I, mean, I got I to gotta say hi to you. I remember when you were behind the mic, and now you're in front of the mic, and you were working double duty before, and it's good to see you get all this air time.
0: Well, thank you, Nate. I appreciate that. Hey, we are going to get with Nate McMurray, but we're having some mic issues. So first, let's take our first break. Let's take our first break. We'll figure out the mic issues and get back here with Nate McMurray on WBEN. All right. Sorry about that. Back on Hardline. We're going to blame the Saturday shows. They did some rearranging in the studio, but we're back. Doesn't need the uh, the big intro. Nate McMurray is here, as we said. Nate, it's been a few months. Now you're running for Congress again. The obvious first question. Why are you making another run for NY27? Because I care about NY27, and I think that... You have a
2: congressman who's still in place, who's shameless about his his criminal problems, who is unable to serve on his committees, who appears to be running again. So I think it's appropriate to have a rematch, and I think a lot of people in Western New York want to see that rematch. Well, you answered my next question. So you do think you'll be running against Chris Collins? He put $500,000 into his account a week ago. Now, most of us can't contemplate cutting a check out of your own funds for $500,000. Meanwhile, he's out there, he's active, he's attacking potential Republican rivals. So all signs indicate that he's going to run. And I should add, you know, the, the greatest way he has of staying out of prison is by holding out of the seat. That's why he fought so hard against me last time. That's why he's going to fight again. And I think don't bet him out until he's gone.
1: Nate, what about um, the talk that some people don't, don't realize in his district that he is in this type of trouble, that some of these indictments, uh, you know, are still raging and what the detailed uh, indictments entail. Do you find that some people just don't uh, even know what these indictments are all about?
2: I do. I, I mean, the, the district is giant. It's bigger than it's the size of Rhode Island. It's a huge area. And, you know, it's a lot of it's rural. And I knocked a lot of doors. I met a lot of people last time. And I tell people, you know, he is going to be on trial next year and he may be in jail for the rest of his life. Or I tell people, you know, he had ethic charges that are separately saying that he used his office to promote his company. And the the Congress found that he likely committed crimes. And they'll say either, I, I don't believe it. It's impossible. I've met him before. Or that's fake news. Or where did you hear this? So we had a difficult time getting the message out. And we were always shorthanded financially. Um, numbers wise. So we didn't even do a mailing last time. So we did have a difficult time getting that message out, and I'm still going to have to push that message this time.
0: Last time around, <laughs> at first, you didn't get the backing of Governor Cuomo. Are you worried about that happening again, or have you talked to the governor about running NY27, or is that not really at the top of your plate?
2: I, it's not at the top of my plate. I have not talked to him. You're right. He did try to oppose me last time, and I had uh, a couple high profile disputes with the governor, but I didn't back down. And no matter who is going to get in my way this time, I'm not going to back down. I'm going forward.
1: Nate, 1,087 votes. Very slim margin that you lost. And yet uh, there's talk, as you said, about a lot of folks not understanding exactly what happened in this race. How do you overcome that? Do you start earlier? Are you just, you do shows like this, I imagine, and try to get the word out. What else are you doing to make up for those votes that you lost by such a slim margin last time? Well, I
2: think it's important to point out that thousands and thousands and thousands of Republicans voted for me and independents. Uh, we had uh, the biggest partisan swing for a first-time candidate in in the entire country. So there's a lot of good news there. But again, you have to look at the fact that we lost to a man who's indicted. So there's things that we can do differently. We have to get the vote out early. I started running very late last time. Uh, his indictment came out late, so the mo- the news didn't really sink in for a lot of people. But a lot of the circumstances remain the same. He's still indicted. The trial's going to start next year. He doesn't seem to be leaving the race. Um, the only difference is we're stronger than we ever were. Now we have national support. We have a lot of local support. and We have a network of supporters across the district.
1: You've been quoted as saying that it's not just Collins that you're running against, but the political machine. What do you mean by that?
2: Well, I mean, if you look at it last year, I, you know, a lot of people even on this station said over and over again, you need to hold the seat. You have to, you know, plug your nose and vote for Collins. Or they even said that Collins is a good guy, or one of the leaders of the Republican Party said last week, you know, he's our guy, essentially. So you have a machine that is unwilling to address the reality that you have a man who's not even able to vote in committee, who's been removed from his committee assignments. And so I think that you're fighting that machine. And a lot of the talking points I used last time about Mr. Collins being unable to represent this district uh, unable to you know, have the time to do it because of his trial and the preparation for his trial. Uh, now you see some of his Republican rivals parroting those, those lines that they wouldn't support last time or were so silent on last time. So that's what I mean about the machine. I think if you took the parties out of it, and I think a lot of people would love to do that, if you took the party affiliations out of it. I mean, George Washington said the worst thing for this country is going to be political parties. But if you took the political parties out of it and you said, who is better able to represent this district? It would certainly not be Chris Collins.
0: Nate, let me ask you, because you did, you did lose by such a slim margin in one of the most conservative districts. But you ran last time as a moderate Democrat. You had supporters like me. You had supporters like the New York Post who usually go conservative. Do you think that's going to be difficult this time around after doing an impeach Trump rally to get those conservatives to back you this, uh, in 2020?
2: Joe, none of my policy positions have changed. The only thing that's changed is before I said, let's find ways to work with President Trump. And now I think we need to impeach President Trump. And that may be a big difference to a lot of viewers out or a lot of listeners out there. But I had to, and I understand that. I understand that's going to be challenging to a lot of people listening. But I have a duty. I don't have a choice. If you look at the Mueller report, if you look at the facts of the situation currently, you have a duty to enforce the law. I read, I'm reading this book right now, the uh, The Long Path to Freedom by Nelson Mandela in that story, in the book, he tells a story about when he was a young man, he was in this school, and his job was to watch to see if the other young men were dumping garbage behind the school, and he had to write them up. And then one day, he saw one of the teachers doing it. And so he said to himself, well, what am I going to do? I can't write him up. So he ripped the entire list up and threw it away. And the, the principle of that is a principle that any law student or anyone who studies philosophy knows Someone has to watch the guardians. Who will guard the guardians? And if the guardians break the law, the whole system breaks down and the rule of law goes away. So what, what about the Mueller report is impeachable of the president? The Mueller report, the essential principle there is he is telling people not to enforce the law, to stop the investigation. It's documented over and over and over again. There, that's the principle I'm talking about previously. One now, man cannot be above the law. He does not have the power to say, I am not
0: susceptible to the law. Go ahead. If I tell you, if I say, hey, you know, it'd be nice if we went and robbed a bank. But you no know, one goes and robs the bank. There was not a crime committed. That, do you think that's an impeachable offense of the president? Because just less than a year ago, you told our morning show this.
2: There is no way I'm going to impeach him. Now, I am not going to lie. There's a lot about President Trump I do not like. But the damage that would cause to this,
0: this country and the turmoil it would cause we can see the turmoil caused by the Kavanaugh hearings. You don't think that an impeachment now would do the same thing you were afraid of just a year ago?
2: It absolutely would. And I said to you earlier, I don't want to do it. It's something I would I would rather not do. I think it's going to be cause problems. But you don't have a choice. When you have this Mueller report before you, when you see the things he's done, you don't have a choice. And I'm running into this race again. I'm not disappearing. I'm running in the same place again. I understand that a lot of voters don't want to hear that. And it's a challenge to a lot of voters. But I know it's the right thing to do, and I left. I have to let the consequences follow. I read every page of that remote Mueller report, and as a trained attorney, I saw that, and I said, "There's nothing else I can do." If I say to myself, "It's not right to impeach him at this point," I am betraying my own values and myself.
1: What do you hear from the constituents in NY27, Nate? I mean, it's a very red district, obviously. How do they? How do you reconcile that with these folks?
2: Well, it's it's exactly what you're saying. It's very difficult because I think a lot of people. Same thing with the Collins case. They haven't seen it. But if you take the names off it, let's say the name here was President Clinton. There'd be almost universal support in this district to to impeach him if the same crimes were committed. You have to look at the the law blindly. And if you look at the law blindly... There's a there's a duty to act at this point. I know that's difficult. I know it hurts me among a lot of voters, but it's the right thing to do. And if I weren't to do it, I know I'd be betraying the values that I hold dear.
0: As someone who's read both the Collins indictment and the Mueller report, uh, both twice actually, I, I think I think you're you're I think you're doing a disservice because I think the Collins indictment is very and I've told you this last year. It's very obvious, right? You read that. I mean. It's pretty obvious what was done, what was committed. The Mueller report did not did not charge anyone in the administration of a crime of the Trump administration. It is not a prosecutor's job to find someone innocent, right? If he's not proven guilty, he is innocent. The Mueller report did not did not request impeachment, did not say to impeach. I think the Mueller report came out. Bob Mueller's testimony was obviously he had nothing to do with this report. And you point to all the. Um, all the rumors of, hey, he told someone to do A, B, and C. However, how about the people within the Mueller report who were pro-Clinton campaign, were registered Democrats, were at her, cele- her victory uh, party that never happened. That doesn't concern you?
2: It, what, what concerns me is you're talking about a finding of fact versus a finding of law. The finding of fact is what the Mueller report is. These are the facts. Now, it's the duty under our Constitution for the Congress to hold the executive branch accountable. They have to look at those facts and make a determination. So that's what I'm asking them to do, and that's what I've done personally. And every single person out there listening, I'm asking you, look at this. Remove the party affiliations from it. Look at it and think, if a Democrat did this, would you still support that president? If a Democrat said, you can't do this, you are not going to investigate my friend. Think about this. If you were in a small town and you went to a court, and you were held accountable for some traffic violation. You got up there and you had to pay your fee. And the next guy who got up said, listen, I really like you. You're my guy. Don't go after this guy. He's not the type of guy you should go after. Or or if you saw that the judge himself was held accountable and he said, listen, I'm the judge. I'm the law. I'm not holding myself accountable. Those are exactly the facts that happened in the Mueller report. Now, if Mueller doesn't want to make a recommendation because he's finding a fact, it's the duty of the Congress to do it. He set it up for them to take action. He is trying to be uh, nonpartisan in this, which I understand and I respect, but now the Congress has a duty to act, and so
0: does the Senate. But he's never said to impeach. The Ken Starr report said it. Re- it said that impeachment. That it found. What's the word I'm looking for? It found reasons to impeach it the president. Recommended. Recommended. There's the word. Well, this did not recommend impeachment. Well, Mueller
2: is not the judge of the country. The the one the under our constitution. The, part, the, the branch of government that's held, is, is responsible for holding the president accountable is the Congress. They have a duty to do this. He set up the facts. Now, just because Ken Stark did it differently than Mueller did it doesn't mean the facts are different. Now, there's two parts of the Mueller report. There's the first part, which is the Russian meddling part, which I think is at the very least— So under the law in our country, negligence is when you have a duty to act— and you don't act as a reasonable person did, or you don't fulfill your duty. Now, I think under the first part, when you have all these interactions with Russia, maybe you don't have conspiracy under the law, and you can't prove all the elements of conspiracy, but you have negligence, at the very least, or recklessness. So let's get beyond that and say let's pretend that none of that happened, all of which is very troubling. The next part is the real troubling part, because in that part, the essential argument of William Barr and of the president is that he did not violate the law because— He is the law. And now if anyone who's gone to law school or studied this understands that is the quintessential violation of our standard of law in America.
1: So, Nate, is it just a matter of time that perhaps when Trump is out of office, that's when it happens?
2: I think regardless of what happens, this is going to be a a, a huge uh, dark point in our history where we see a breakdown of the rule of law and of uh, because of partisan politics. The same thing in my race, frankly. The same thing happened in my race, and we heard on this station over and over again. If it was a Democrat who was found in violation or was indicted for insider trading and found to have violated the oath of his office by using his congressional office to promote his drug company, a foreign drug company, an Australian drug company, and to lobby for his drug company from his office and sell stock from his office, there would be outrage among the listeners of this station.
1: Well, where do you think the disconnect is then? Is it just because people are so partisan in today's day and age?
2: I think there's an instinct for people to be team-based instead of idea-based, label-based. I want to get beyond those labels. I think we need to have a conversation about ideas. I'm open to have any conversation. I've come on this station numerous times. There's other politicians who won't come on. I've come on. There's people at this station that I care about and who I respect. And there's people at this station who've said to me exactly what I'm saying to you we need to move beyond this partisan divide. There's other people at this station who love it, who love to indulge that. But I think we have to move beyond it and go to a point where we can talk about ideas in America. Because everyone out there listening has to understand we're not fighting each other; we're competing against the rest of the world.
1: You talk well, about kindness and and uh, ideas and getting above the divisive rhetoric. Isn't that kind of naive in today's political world, though, Nate? It,
2: it's 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 cur- it's courageous. Now I, I'm a fighter. Everyone knows me. I'm I you know I'm literally a fighter, and I. Uh, I, my instinct, my natural instinct, is to be a fighter. But when I see what we're ha- what we see in America today, this professional meanness, the type of ads that you saw ran against me in the last campaign, these horrible, um, hateful ads, the type of rhetoric we see coming out of the White House, this isn't who we are. When you go to church, or when you go to the local community meetings, or you go to Boy Scout meetings, this is not who this is not what we should be. Now, I'm partially responsible, just but as everyone else is. But I think this is a moment where we need to rise above it. So last time I said when I ran we should fight like hell, and I meant it. I always will be firm. I'll always be someone who stands firmly by what I believe in. But this time I'm trying to have a more aspirational standard. I want us to be kind and do good. And I think more, and us, more people in America need to hear that. It's time to stop yelling at each other. It's time to be kind and remember that America used to be the symbol of light and goodness. Ronald Reagan called us that city on the hill, and that's what I'm aspiring for again.
0: Well, with all that said, Nate, I want to go back to the impeachment thing, because obviously I hit, I've hit, a, you've hit a nerve with me. Um, don't you think something based loosely, and most of the country disagrees with impeachment of an unpopular president, don't you think that would do more to divide us than to bring us together? Again, you have a duty. You
2: have a duty under the law. When there's a violation of the law, you have to act. That's why the justice is blind, and you have to move forward. Now, here you have a situation— where you could do it in a way that's that causes rancor or or malice, but I would prefer that we did it in a way that helps resolve the issue. And now now when president when president Nixon was first when they start first started doing the proceedings to move towards impeachment for him, you saw that he had very high approval ratings. But when they had those open discussions, those transparent discussions when the subpoenas were filed, you saw his his ratings plummet. Here you have a situation where our president is literally saying, "Don't give them anything. Ignore the subpoenas. That is an incredible situation. We have a constitutional crisis on our hands where he's saying, Congress doesn't matter. I am
0: the law. And if that's not troubling to you, Joe, I don't know what would be. Well, I have a response for that, Nate, but you know the clock as good as I do. (laughs) We have a news update with Alan Harris. I have a question for Nate McMurray and more. It's Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Welcome back. It's Hardline. News Radio 930 WBEN. Shout out to Corey Griswold for coming in for a two-hour shift today. I asked him Friday. He's here Sunday. So Corey, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. It is Joe Beamer, Brenda Alacy, and Nate McMurray. Newly entered into a familiar territory for him, NY27. Now, Nate, at the end of the break, I asked you about impeachment. It is wildly unpopular still with most voters. And we had the Mueller testimony. That was all out. Robert Mueller said his report was never hindered. He did say that. So can you see where a majority, even people who don't like the president, think impeachment is a bad move? And why would you still go ahead with it, even though Robert Mueller said it was not hindered? His report was not hindered. But his report also says that the president asked his his team to terminate
2: Robert Mueller during, during the report. So I, I think that the report itself, the facts of the report show, and the essential argument of Barr, again, is that the president has the ability to determine if he should be investigated himself, that he is the law, which is very unusual in the history of American politics. So I'll go back to it and I'll say, look, do I understand that this is going to be um, maybe not the best issue for me politically? Yes. Most politicians would do whatever they think is going to get the most votes. But I know it's the right thing to do. And I know it's the right thing to do, and I'll deal with the consequences. Martin Luther King said a leader is someone who helps mold consensus, not just follows it. And, I, and I've always tried to do that. And I've searched this issue out of my heart. I understand the complications. I understand the political implications. But I think history will judge me right.
1: Knight, I want to talk to you about some lessons learned from the last campaign. When you ran for the seat in NY27, there was some talk that— Perhaps you could have pulled off the victory if you had listened to some advisors a little sooner. Did you feel a little bit like a lone wolf out there? And, and what have you learned from uh, that run that you had last time and how it may affect what you do this time?
2: The biggest thing I learned is that everything can change in politics quickly, including, like you said, the support for President Trump. That could drop off quickly, too, even among your listeners. I remember sitting here when I was with... A, Kevin Hardwick, who was a Republican, who was telling me, you know, basically beating me up for running against Collins, and now he's a Democrat. So things change quickly in the, in the world, and so you have to be ready for it. And I knew when I first ran in that office, when I first ran in NY27, a lot of people told me, you can't run. Don't do this. It's a waste of time. Chris Collins is unbeatable. And I said, did you see that congressional ethics report? Did you see what he did in his office? Someone has to stand up to him. And they said, Lee, you have a political career. You don't waste your time in NY27. It's impossible for a Democrat to win. And then as I ran, we saw the indictment happen. So you have to be ready for those changes, those quick changes. You have to be ready to understand that things do go differently. I am very w- proud of how we performed. Again, we had the biggest partisan swing for a first-time congressional candidate. We far outperformed <clears throat> other uh, candidates who were running against indicted or uh, legally imperiled candidates across the country. We did, We did very, very well in a district that's much redder. I should also add that if you look at it, I mean, you could see most candidates, when they stop running, their support goes away. We have more support than we've ever had. And I can see it when I visit the small towns. There's more people excited. You can see it. And Yesterday, we did a very soft announcement. We rolled it out. We didn't have a big press conference. But the support I've received in the last 24 hours is really overwhelming.
1: It's so different, though, than running for Grand Island supervisor. You've been there four years now versus running for a congressional seat. So... How has that changed you in terms of the political machine, the things you have to do, the people you align yourself with? I'm really interested in kind of the nuts and bolts of your campaign, which is much different than a, a town supervisor, of course.
2: Well, I, the first time I ran as, as for Congress, I ran like a town supervisor. I had a bunch of T-shirts in the back of my car, and I drove around shaking hands. And you know what? I'm proud of that because I think that's why I have grassroots support, because people saw this guy is genuine. He's going to come and sit down with me and talk to me, and I'm never going to stop doing that. The difference is now, I understand, you need to have a professional team. And we do have a professional team. You have to have professional consultants for things like a field game and a field plan and for marketing properly. And if you don't have that professional system in place, you really are alone. The the first time I visited the Democratic Party in Washington, I didn't even really get in the front door. They talked to me in the hallway. And the last time I went in, they brought me right upstairs and they, 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 they were very kind to me and they said, we're totally impressed by how well you did. And I said, listen, I'm going to run the same way. You're not going to control me or any else is going to control me. And they said, well, we still want to be supportive. And they've given me support. They've given me some people to reach out to that can help manage the campaign. So we're very, very excited about going forward.
0: Speaking of, yeah, going forward, running another campaign. Obviously, you're not going to run away from your want to impeach the president, how do you expect or what is your plan to keep conservative voters that did vote for you last time because they want to lead by example, right? You- they don't want a Collins in there because they want to be the party that said, hey, it might be our party, but we don't want to support someone who's indicted. So we'll, you know, we'll go with you this time. All right, 2020, you're running against Collins, obviously against the president. Do you have a plan to keep some of those Republican voters who are Trump supporters, but not so much column supporters? So,
2: number one, let's remember who I am. Uh, A lot of the people that attack me for being a Democrat, they have less, they left private sector experience in their whole body than I have in my pinky. I spent my entire life in the private sector, creating jobs, working for some of the biggest companies in the world. I'm highly employable. My skill set has been highly sought after. I understand the pressures of capitalism. My view of capitalism, I'm a capitalist. I've said this the entire time I've been in office. I'm a capitalist, but I believe capitalism has to be that ladder, that bridge, from poverty to affluence. And everyone has to have access to that ladder. It just can't be a way of hoarding wealth. So number one, remember who I am. I'm someone who has survived, even thrived in the private sector. Number two, I know that conservatives, and especially listeners to your your station, value one thing more than anything else, and that's honesty and integrity and truth. I am not someone who's a fake. I'm not going to look in your face and say, oh, yeah, I love President Trump when I know in my heart I can't stand him. And I think that people will respect the fact that maybe they don't agree with me, but I'm not going to lie to them about what I believe. You can listen to me right now and say, I can't stand that guy. Everything he's saying is fake. But guess what? When I go to Washington, I'll be true. And I'll still stand by what I believe. I will never play this political game where I think one thing and say something else.
1: Have you uh, been contacted by uh, AOC's group, the the Progressive Democrats, uh, and the, they're the same group that has encouraged you to run against Brian Higgins? Uh, what's your connection with those folks, Nate?
2: I have no connection to them. I spoke to them, and that's it. There's no connection.
1: Do you have any desire to run for uh, Higgins' seat at any point?
2: No, but I'll say I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I think Brian Higgins. He's an intelligent man. He's done a lot of good things, but he is in one of the safest seats in the country. His seat is as safe as as Chris Collins' seat, if not more so. And when you have that platform, you can't play it safe. I mean, here I am about to run for Congress, about to put my whole life on the line. And I'm saying what Joe's Joe's here saying, I can't believe you want to impeach the president. I I believe it. And I have to stand by what I believe, even if it's maybe not the most, uh, maybe maybe it's a little bit of a risk. I wish Congressman Higgins would stand up stronger and say, these are the things I care about, making sure every single American has health care, making sure that we hold the president accountable, making sure that we hold Chris Collins accountable. Now, remember, when I ran in my race, I was alone for most of that race out there in, in, in Albion, out there in Batavia. And I wish we had more support from people, especially Mr. Congressman
0: Higgins, who has that secure spot. Nate, um so you're obviously thinking you're going to run against Chris Collins. That's what this campaign's about. Say Chris Collins does get primaried by Chris Jacobs. That looks like it's a possibility. Do you have a plan to run against Chris Jacobs?
2: I have a plan to run for N-127. We're talking about Chris Collins right now because he is the incumbent. He's the man in the seat. He's the man who beat me. He's the man who's been in office in Western, New York, for a long, Western New York for a long time, despite the fact that he's closed down businesses here. He's taken advantage of of his business associates here. So I'm talking about him because he's right now in the seat. Whoever runs, I'll be ready to run against them.
1: What about Beth Perlato, Nate?
2: I don't know much about her. I'll be honest with you. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. I'll
0: tell you what, all of them are better than Chris Collins. Nate, last uh, time around, you said you were pro-Second Amendment. Uh, Do you still stand as a gun rights candidate? I stand for the Second Amendment, which means an individual right to bear arms. Not an individual
2: right to bear whatever gun you want, anytime you want. The last time I ran, I said the same thing. We need an assault weapons ban. We need to have universal background checks. To me, that seems like common sense. I'm a town supervisor of a small town. I've done everything in my power to make my kids' school safer by employing security forces. I still don't feel safe. None of us do. This situation is ridiculous. Now, uh, listen, I stood up with, with students from Clarence High School, Chris Collins' school, last year. We had that event He didn't show up those kids said look at we just want to have a common sense conversation about gun control in this country that we need to create a safer society there's too many people dying of suicide of criminal deaths and now of this of these mass shootings which are, are are frankly horrific it's like a horror story what did chris collins call me forget it what did chris collins call those kids he called those kids extremists high school students from his own town, he called extremists. So I will have that conversation openly with anybody who wants to have it.
0: What do you say about, you know, last week we saw two awful tragedies and the rhetoric in this country, and I think it's coming from members of both sides. I don't think it's just conservatives or Democrats. What would you say say to Democrats like Maxine Waters, who say, get in Republicans' face if you see them outside. What do you say about the protesters in front of Mitch McConnell's house saying, murder Mitch McConnell, stab him in the heart? Do you do you? Do you see this hateful rhetoric? What do you say to those people, and how do we get out of this? How do we mend this divide? I know, take impeachment out of it for a second. How do we get this country back to we can just have a conversation and disagree without being so hateful towards one another?
2: Well, that's why my motto is be kind, do good. And that may sound trite or, or trivial, but I think it's the, in this age of professional meanness and cruelty, it's the best thing you could say. I don't like. Uh, people wanting to stab, people, those kind of threats. It's ridiculous. I, I can't. I can never stand by that. And if you look at the way I ran my campaign last year, go back and look at my commercials. I'm firm. I'm tough. I will never attack uh, even Mr. Collins's family or or ask people to be threatening towards him physically. I'll, I'll tell you something. Last time, a lot of the grassroots would come to me and they would show me these these ads and even some of the people we paid for that created these ads that I thought were horrible that showed Mr. Collins. Um, kind of taking his face and making it. And I, every time I saw that, I said, do not do that. We are above that. I am not going to go to those low blows. Now, I will be firm. I'll stand for what I believe in. But I will never attack people uh, in that way.
1: Nate, before we take our break, I've got to ask you, do you feel safe on the campaign trail?
2: Uh, I think there's a, a – no. I'll put it that way. In a lot of ways, we do not feel safe. And I'll reemphasize I believe in the right to bear arms and to protect yourself. Do I believe people should have a right to have these mass weapons that can kill you know, dozens of people in two minutes? No. But I believe in the right to bear arms. And I think we have this society now. If you can see the rhetoric on my, on my social media sometimes from these, frankly, white supremacist groups, uh, it's incredible. It's a terrifying moment in, in our history. That's why I, my, my instinct is to say we need to keep fighting. You know, fight like hell. I want to say that all the time, but you know that be kind, do good. I think that's a message. The win or lose, that's a message I want to spread for America right now. And this constant rhetoric of hating each other. Um, I saw a, a man yesterday. He he came up to me in the Welcome Center on Grand Island, and he st- he asked me if I was a Democrat or Republican. He was from Pittsburgh, and I told him I was a Democrat. He went into the biggest diatribe of of f words and on AOC. So I looked at him and I said. Sir, you may not agree with AOC, but I've met her. She is a 28-year-old woman, and she could be your daughter. And if you disagree with her, fine, but there is no reason to talk about any other American in the way you're doing it. And he stormed off in a few. And I won't do that about Mr. Collins or anybody else either.
0: All right, when we come back, uh, questions of illegal immigration. It's Hardline. Uh, requests going out to Nate McMurray. Last few minutes here on Hardline. Hope you're enjoying the show. If you want to call and talk about what you just heard, Brenda and I will be taking your calls starting at 11 o'clock. So get those in 803-0930. Shoot any text, which I don't have to tell many people. Uh, 3930. The text board quite lively this morning for a Sunday. Now, Nate, another big issue going on is illegal immigration. You have... One side, like AOC, who's talking about it being like concentration camps. What is your take? Do we need stronger border security? Are you pro the wall? I am against the wall. I'm for strong border security. I mean, a wall
2: is a... First of all, how are you going to maintain the wall? And think about all the other infrastructure issues we have in this country. Why are we wasting money on a wall? I mean, especially when you consider there's so many other ways to survey the border. So I'm open to border security in all ways that we can make it safe. I'm not open to putting kids in cages and having kids without toothpaste. And I mean, it's just, we're the the most wealthy country in the world. There's no reason to do that. Also, I should add illegal immigration should be stopped. Legal immigration, including asylum seeking has been part of our country's history for decades and decades. So we have to look at this reasonably. Now, do I think the biggest threat to mankind is the fact that we have uh, migrants coming to work on our farms in Western New York and our farmers have told us over and over again, we need these migrants to work here. You go, if you don't believe me, get on a car right now, drive around NY27. You can visit every dairy farm, every farmer out there. They'll tell you the same thing I'm telling you. We need migrant labor. So I want to find immigration reform that keeps our borders safe, but also prevents, it keeps our borders safe and also respects the human rights of the people that are coming here, but also allows our farms to thrive.
0: What do you say to candidates like Elizabeth Warren, who is talking about decriminalizing illegal immigration?
2: I think that's wrong. I mean it's 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 we need to keep strong borders. That makes sense. It also makes sense to create a system where we have migrant labor that we've had here for for, for probably centuries. I remember my family at a farm a long, long time ago, Grape Farm, Niagara County. Uh, As far as we can look back, we've had migrant laborers coming from the south to work on these farms. It's never been properly documented. It still exists today. You can get in the car and see it right now. And if you want your grapes at the price we get them at, if you want the system to work the way it's working, if you want our farmers to thrive, and I should listen to everyone out there listening, remember, our farmers are not thriving. They are it's, it's crushing what's happening here. And we have a, a, a complete collapse of the agricultural community here in a lot of ways. And we need to find ways to have them have the workers they need because our population continues to decline. And I, actually, I give Chris Collins one of the things I'll give him credit on is he kind of agrees with me on this issue. We have to figure out a migrant labor system that's documented that keeps our farms thriving.
1: Nate, I have to ask you before our time is up. It seems like a cast of thousands, many Democrat candidates running for president. Who do you support?
2: I don't support any of them yet. I'll tell you this, though. I had a personal conversation with Joe Biden last year, and he is a gentleman in every single way. He is a gem to me and my family. And uh, I have a lot of personal warm feelings with him, even if I don't agree with him on everything he says. Um, I wish the the field would narrow down quickly. I think it's ridiculous. If you got less than one percent support, get off the stage. All right, Nate. Final uh, final comments. Final comments is to everyone listening. Listen, I want. I, I know a lot of things I'm saying on this station to the listeners, but you may not agree with. But I'm first of all, I'm grateful to Brenda. Thank you so much, and to Joe, you've been a good friend all along, even though we disagree on a lot of things. I think you're a talent, and you you do a great job. And I, I'm thankful to have the opportunity to speak. But what I want to say is, we you can look at the status quo. We have NY27. We have Western New York that for generations has lost population that still has one of the worst job markets in the country. Now, you can look at our leadership and say, yeah, this is good. Status quo is great. This is working out for us. Or you can say we can try something different. Now, I know a lot of you tried with Donald Trump. You thought maybe he was something different. And I understood that. Even I hoped he would rise to the occasion. But I think he hasn't. Every time he's an opportunity to rise, he's fallen. And if you look at the real facts of our economy, this economy they say is so great, we have $2 trillion deficit today. Our national debt is larger than it's ever been, and it's growing. And he has taken that debt, and he's he's caused he's given that debt to the most richest and wealthiest Americans. We need to change this system. I'm asking you to break the status quo. I'm asking you to look at me and vote for me, and let some of these new ideas and different ideas uh, uh, a chance to, to for you to consider.
1: We appreciate you coming in today, Nate.
0: Thank you. And Nate, like you said, we may disagree, but you've always been a good friend. And anytime we need, you, we want you on the station, you always are willing to come and talk to us. So we really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I'm, I'm
2: thankful to all the people here at the station. and You've always been uh, fair and open to me, even when you disagreed with me. And I, I'm grateful for that. I'm
0: not grateful for the guys who beat me up for four hours a day. That's not so great. <laughs> all right. That is Nate McMurray. Hey, taking your calls on what you just heard, 803-0930.